Meco Meco. You're so fresh-faced. I'm very fresh. I'm very faced. <laughs> you got a whole new face on. Grunge Girl cut my hair last night. Oh, cute. Very cute. This is a new pair of glasses. I got some new glasses. Oh, wow. Look at you. You're a whole new person. I'm a whole new person. It's great. We're recording at our scheduled time. You've shaved. You've been trimmed. Yeah, the house is clean. I sweeped. I swept. Fuck. I um, threw clothes into the hamper. Well, shit. Yeah, it was a big, big project. Lots of fun. Oh, how are you, Hava? Baruch Hashem. I'm tired. Uh, it's been a very busy day. I've been trying to, as you already know, give myself a more structured weekend by not scheduling things on Friday and on Shabbat. An unavoidable consequence of that is that those things have been pushed onto the other days, making them more full. So I just have felt really, really busy. But I'm also really excited because you and I earlier this week recorded with a special guest for our big Temple OS series we're working on behind the scenes. And I feel like that was just the best damn podcasting in the world. I just feel really good about it and like it was really cool and it's going to be really cool when we make it into episodes. Yeah, I feel like a narrative arc is forming, perhaps. Right. I think it's crystallizing, at least for me, what is interesting about Temple OS. Mm -hmm. Definitely the Sam conversation that was posted for patrons and what we talked about with our other guest has been very informative. Yeah, so that positive feeling is buoying me, for sure. But yeah, this is the last activity of my day, so I'm definitely like, uh, feel myself hurtling down the hill like a Sisyphean boulder. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. That's very nice. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've always thought, is things that are Sisyphean are just lovely. Do you feel like Sisyphus and Prometheus... They kind of like hang out next to each other, one of them getting the liver eaten out by the crows and the other one just rolling a stone. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how those people are all physically arranged. I was always really curious about Tantalus, who is like, uh, he's like up to his neck in water and has like a bunch of grapes dangling over his head, but he can't eat or drink. Oh, because every time he reaches up, the grapes go higher. Yeah, exactly. I was always really curious about, like, the special room they must have had to build. It just seems like Hades has, like, a, a lot of... They must have, like, a really great, like, Home Depot dyke on staff who sort of, like, custom builds these torture sets. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Speaking of Home Depot dykes, if I'm even allowed to speak of them... <laughs> Are any of us? Yeah, I don't... Who knows? They're um, too sacred to be spoken of. There is one woman who i've made presumptions about who whose videos i've been watching because we're thinking about getting like an espresso machine here <laughs> okay nothing too crazy wow, nothing too crazy okay when are you getting your mega yacht okay fucking, hey. <laughs> anyway this woman whose identification and persuasions i can only guess at. can only guess at she's got great youtube presence and yeah. Gail, I'll just say it. Gail, I'll just say, I'll just say, I'm not afraid to say it. Gail from Seattle Coffee Gear, you yeah. are, you are made for TV. You are made for TV. <laughs> She's just so like, yeah, we got a fucking espresso machine. I'm gonna just like show you how it works. Wow. 
It's very calming, very relaxing, very just like, mm. Beautiful. Yep, yep. Am I going to be burned now at the stake for, like, buying an espresso machine? Well, guillotine would be the way it would go, which is go quite painless, I think. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Look, I am not an exorbitant person. That's exactly what it, <laughs> I'm just comfortable. I'm just... Look. We've been blessed. Look, look, look. Hey, <laughs> I only have a 100 amp panel service going to this house, people. Okay? So, what I don't know what, what that means. Yeah, it's okay. Well, let me try again. How about... I shat in a bucket for a week, okay? <laughs> Listen, when the revolution comes and we expropriate your espresso machine, <laughs> then finally your sins will be paid for. I feel like if the revolution were to come and someone were to try to expropriate our home, I think they would, would just be like, mm, we don't want to no. deal. We don't want to deal with this, like, janky Put this ass in the situation. goodwill pile. Yeah, yeah, so... That's my protection. But they will come in and be like, sorry, we're taking your espresso machine. Yeah, you can sorry, keep the house. There's no way around that. All espresso machines have been uh, nationalized at this point. So I would be for a like a community owned espresso machine. I'm just reinventing a cooperatively owned community <laughs> yeah. owned. What if like the people who were stakeholders in an enterprise could come together to make decisions about it? Yeah. Is there something like that? I think it'd be great. Some towns have like publicly owned um, internet service providers or utility companies. We need publicly owned cafe service providing. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we have precisely one union-run coffee shop here in Providence, and I count us very lucky to have it. Well, that's nice, but I also, I want to say... Well, they're super cool. I'll just tell you that. Oh, okay, I okay, know cool. about them. Okay, because it, it's not enough. It's not enough for the workers to own the means of production people. The citizens who are not workers need to have a say in the production, too. That's all I'm saying. Grandma needs a say in the coffee shop. Right. Grandma needs a say. I agree. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I'm okay. hip. I mean, I'm. Yeah. I'm all for the devalorization of work. And I'm not for the devalorization of workers. Well, I'm okay. We're really. I don't know what you brought to talk about today, but I'm not that excited about worker as an identity. In the same way that I'm not. This is like true burning at the stake shit. I'm not that excited about trans as an identity. Because I feel like trans is sort of the identity that it's like, this identity only exists because of the pressure cooker of capitalism that we're all in. And if those conditions were removed, some other even stranger and more magical identity might have come into being. You know, trans feels like a stopgap. Like, this is what we have to use now because of the material power relations being what they are. And worker, I feel like, is basically the same thing. Like, worker is an important identity because workers of the world got to rise up but i don't think it's like an identity that i want to it's not one that's like uh to be invested in and defended in a post-revolutionary world imho i feel like worker you have a lot more leverage over real power than like other identities like trans so it's maybe a bit more useful of an identity perhaps to wield politically unless you're in certain spaces where you can use like the trans or elder LGBTQ identities to wield mm -hmm. force over people, but those institutions are few and far between. People didn't come here to hear our foolish political takes. Yeah, fuck they this. They came here to hear no our cares. foolish 
Jewish takes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which are completely apolitical. Totally. We have a strict separation. <laughs> yeah, okay. What's up? What'd you bring? I've brought you alternate history universe. Realness. Realness, fakeness. <laughs> I've brought you realness and fakeness from a parallel universe of Jewish-ish mythology. Okay, okay, great. Lay it on me. Okay, have you ever heard of a collection of writings called Parables and Paradoxes by Franz Kafka. No, I have not. I've heard of this guy, Kafka, but never of this particular work. Okay, Kafka, a Jew, maybe. Kafka, notorious Jew. Notorious secular Jew. You know, he wrote the thing about the cockroach. Right, as has recently been pointed out to me, very trans girl vibes from Kafka. Oh, interesting. I think he wanted all of his work to be destroyed, so very Rabbi Nachman in that way. You know, you might know Kafka from the phrase Kafka-esque nightmare. Right, from the Breaking Bad meme about things being Kafka-esque. You might, whether you know it or not, be living in a Kafka-esque nightmare. Right, you might know this from your life, a Kafka-esque nightmare. So, yeah, I wanted to bring you some, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not halakha, it's... Midrash? It's Midrash, thank or you. I want to bring you some agada from this work, which I think might be interesting. Okay. Okay, great. First little snippet of writing is called Mount Sinai. Again, this is from Parables and Paradoxes. So Mount Sinai. Many people prowl around Mount Sinai. Their speech is blurred. Either they are garrulous or they shout or they are taciturn but none of them comes down a broad, newly made, smooth road that does its own part in making one's strides long and swifter. The end. Well, okay, wait. So read, read the whole thing to me again. That was like very dense language okay, to take okay. in. Many people prowl round Mount Sinai. Their speech is blurred. Either they are garrulous or they shout or they are taciturn. But none of them comes down a broad, newly made, smooth road that does its own part in making one's strides long and swifter. Um, I don't know what to make. It just feels like a beautiful little gem of delicious Jewish prose. There you go. That's all. That's it. That, I'm not saying it's anything. You tell me what it means. <laughs> I'm not saying it's anything more. The summary of this two sentences is there's a right. bunch of people prowling around Mount Sinai. Right. Their speech is kind of blurry. Some of them shout, some of them won't shut up, and some of them won't really say anything. But none of them seems to walk down a road that's like smooth, that goes probably downhill and like makes you walk real fast and have wide strides. For some reason, right. no one's doing that. I don't know. I don't know what Mount Sinai is in this case, but it's interesting to me. I don't know why. It just is. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this references some concepts that came up in the patron episode for those of you who got a chance to listen to it but i feel like maybe an an element of this tone poem is uh i don't know i guess i just feel like there's a sinai right is like this place where revelation happens and so often i feel like people who spend our time delving into Jewish text or into spiritual matters in general are just like swimming around in this big, messy maelstrom morass of opinions and ideas and 
theories and I often feel like there must be some way to sort of like cut the Gordian knot instead of just like uh, hemming and hawing over all of this stuff all day and just like feeling like it's so effortful to work through Revelation. And that's what I feel like the long, smooth road is that Kafka is referencing is just like that path that that haunts us. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't get lost in the in in the mystical. You got to right. do some stuff. And I do like that. Like, you think about Moses coming down off the mountain. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting parallels, which I think are fun and encapsulated, you know, in just two sentences. I'll give you another one. Okay. This one is called The Building of the Temple. Oh, okay. Everything came to his aid during the construction work. Foreign workers brought the marble blocks, trimmed and fitted to one another. The stones rose and placed themselves according to the gauging motions of his fingers. No building ever came into being as easily as did this temple, or rather this temple came into being as a temple should, except that to wreak a spite or to desecrate or destroy it completely... Instruments, obviously of a magnificent sharpness, had been used to scratch on every stone. From what quarry did they come? For an eternity outlasting the temple, the clumsy scribblings of senseless children's hands, or rather the entities of barbaric mountain dwellers. Okay, Franz. Franz does not like the story of the Shamir, I suppose. No, I think he's into Shamir. I don't know. I think he finds the Shamir a little convenient. For listeners who haven't listened to our Shamir episode, the Shamir is the magical worm created at the dawn of the world that helped cut the stones for the temple because they couldn't be cut by ordinary human means for sacred reasons. It's a pretty cool worm. My summary of this summary is, wow, this temple, it's real cool. It was built right, but now it's been all fucked up and like scribbled on and destroyed and these silly children and barbaric mountain dwellers and that's my summary that's my summary so i think he's pro (laughs) shamir like if he thinks the shamir helped in the process then he's like yeah i'm pro shamir but like now look at what we have it's like all bullshit something like that yeah i mean i guess i feel like the tension here is we imagine the temples sort of coming together in this magical mystical way just like as perfectly as any building can be perfect but the temple then has to go on existing in a world of imperfect humans who yeah fuck it up by being the humans that we are you know and like putting a perfect sacred thing in the world and and leaving it there can be uh, a risky proposition yeah pretty risky pretty risky okay i'll, I'll bring another one Okay. So not only does this the parables and paradoxes cover biblical mythology, there's some other mythology that's thrown in there. So this one is called the sirens. Oh. These are the seductive voices of the night. The sirens too sang that way. It would be doing them an injustice to think that they wanted to seduce. They knew they had claws and sterile wombs, and they lamented this aloud. They could not help it if their laments sounded so beautiful. Damn, that's a good one. Isn't that a good one? I liked it a lot. Iconic, honestly. Totally iconic. It's not my fault if my lament kills you with its beauty, okay? That's your problem. This is a very body positive, I feel like, message in a very, very aggressive way. It's like aggressively body positive. This feels like more 
trans Kafka content. Oh, totally, totally, totally. I mean, what's more trans than writing a story about waking up as a cockroach? Like, yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah. That's just like classic, classic egg shit. Oh, yeah. It does have trans energy um, for sure. Okay, here's another one, which I think is one of my favorites. It's called Leopards in the Temple. Mm. Leopards break into the temple and drink to the dregs what is in the sacrificial pitchers. This is repeated over and over again. Finally, it can be calculated in advance, and it becomes a part of the ceremony. Oh, that's a fun one. It is a fun one. I first read it as lepers, not leopards, and I wonder if that's intentional. Mm -hmm. I was part of a residential organization at college, and definitely that's how institutional memory sometimes works. You just start doing something, and then three years later... It's that's, a tradition. That's, it's a tradition. So, the leopards in the temple. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't really know what to say about it. I mean, I, I do feel like Judaism certainly has this tendency to take traumatic events and just be like, well, it's a holiday now. So, deal with it. This has big Tisha B'Av energy. We're just like, you know what? Tragedies just keep happening on this date. Let's just round them all up. Put yeah, them in yeah, Tisha yeah. B'Av. Bada boom. We got leopards now. It's, it's right. sweet. I got a couple more for you. Okay. This is called The Invention of the Devil. If we are possessed by the devil, it cannot be by one, for then we should live, at least here on earth, quietly, as with God, in unity, without contradiction, without reflection, always sure of the man behind us. His face would not frighten us, for as diabolical beings we would if somewhat sensitive to the sight, be clever enough to prefer to sacrifice a hand in order to keep his face covered with it. If we were possessed by only a single devil, one who had a calm, untroubled view of our whole nature and freedom to dispose of us at any moment, then that devil would also have enough power to hold us for the length of a human life high above the Spirit of God in us and even swing us to and fro that we should never get a glimmer of it and therefore should not be troubled from that quarter. Only a crowd of devils could account for our earthly misfortunes. Why don't they exterminate one another until only a single one is left? Or why don't they subordinate themselves to one great devil? Either way would be in accord with the diabolical principle of deceiving us as completely as possible. With unity lacking, what good is the scrupulous attention all the devils pay us? It simply goes without saying that the falling of a human hair must matter to the devil than to God. For the devil really loses that hair, and God does not. But as long as many devils are in us, that still does not help us arrive at any state of well-being. Very uh, non-dualist vibes here in this parable and paradox. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what the conclusion is. It makes me think about the teaching about demons, Shadim, and how totally. the rabbi said that like every inch all around us is filled with demons, you know, like wall-to-wall demons basically yeah that's what it made me think of too it made made me think of shadim and demons everywhere and just this conception of your evil inclinations might not be arising from like one source is an interesting uh, model to run with yeah i also like the i mean it feels very that the view of devils in this poem feels very christian actually because it's imagining devils and god as sort of opposed to each other 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. opposed to the older Jewish understanding of them all sort of being part of the same team. Or at least Shadim just kind of being an inevitable or just being like part of the background noise of the universe as much as rocks <laughs> right. and streams. Cosmic and, devil radiation. Yeah, just that's just something you have to deal with. Right. Okay, two more for you. Okay. This one is called The Green Dragon. Oh. The door opened and what entered the room, fat and succulent, its sides voluptuously swelling, footless, pushing itself along on its entire underside, was the green dragon. Formal salutation. I asked him to come right in. He regretted he could not do that, as he was too long. This meant that the door had to remain open, which was rather awkward. He smiled, half in embarrassment, half cunningly, and began... Drawn hither by your longing, I come pushing myself along from afar off, and underneath am now scraped quite sore, but I am glad to do it. Gladly do I come, gladly do I offer myself to you. Franz Kafka, notable scaly. <laughs> totally scaly. <laughs> he, he's into big, curvy, scaly dragons. dragons. <laughs> um, yeah. Who isn't? true yeah i mean i feel like there is a message in there but i don't know what it is just that that dragon is like very yeah i don't know that dragon is very uh accommodating yeah give this writer an ovipositor is, 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 is <laughs> all right message. somebody get this man a splorcher and the last one is called couriers they were offered the choice between becoming kings or the couriers of kings The way children would, they all wanted to be couriers. Therefore, there are only couriers who hurry about the world, shouting to each other, since there are no kings, messages that have become meaningless. They would like to put an end to this miserable life of theirs, but they dare not because of their oaths of service. Wow, okay. A very Jewish conception of angels. I was just studying a text about angels with someone today um, who are sort of like messengers of the divine and couriers of the king it feels very um yeah like kafka is like yeah there are like spiritual forces but there's no transcendent source of meaning that we could call god so the spiritual forces are all basically just like we talked about background noise that's funny i didn't think of it as angels i thought of like oh this is people just being part of like an evil bureaucracy you know i was thinking of hannah arendt trying to explain the horrors of the Holocaust. No one wants to be a king, you know, no one wants to make a moral claim and start, you know, acting on it. Everyone wants to have an oath and follow the oath and be the courier. But we're all miserable. What's weirdly redeeming about that take is it would be really fucked up if people weren't miserable. Right. What's like actually hopeful is that they feel fucked up and miserable. Right, right. That it doesn't feel good to be part of an evil bureaucracy for most. Which also reminds me of like an episode that we've talked about like a year ago where it's like, how do you deal with depression and the world falling apart? And one of the approaches is to notice that you feel miserable. And isn't that interesting that you feel miserable? Like, wouldn't it be more? Wouldn't it be worse to be totally accepting of it? Or like to feel nothing. Or to feel nothing. And what does it mean that you even have feelings about it or have a moral sense of urgency? Your feelings of misery are, in effect, your compass pointing you towards joy and away from other things. Or at least evidence of something that transcends the material world around us, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I think that was our There's Nothing So Whole as Broken Heart episode. Yeah. Going into that one and like what 
is the deal <laughs> with that whole idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, this Franz Kafka parables and paradoxes, there's longer stories, not just short ones. There's ones about Abraham. There's ones about Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great's horse becoming a lawyer. It's very funny. I'd recommend taking a peek at it. It's, you know, peripherally yeah. Jewish, has some biblical themes for sure. Right. It sounds neat. I mean, what is what is Talmud if not the poetry of Franz Kafka? Uh, Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this. I feel like this season of Hi, How Are You is all about expanding what being a queer Talmud podcast can mean, so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, in that vein, I'm all for dropping the word queer. Well, tough shit. I know, I know, because I don't know <laughs> what queer means, and I don't know. I right, don't know. nobody does. No, we're all just messengers flying around. Yeah, yeah, we should be called a worker Right, a workers Talmud podcast. Workers Talmud podcast. Workers owned Talmud co-op. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Well, this was one. This was a delightful little tiptoe through the tulips. I'm glad you like this uh, tulip. Uh, you know, this walk walk about the tulip garden area. Uh -huh. I'm glad you were into it. Yeah. Did you have a favorite? You know, I liked all of them, but I think in the end, my favorite was the dragon. Yeah. Like, I don't think the dragon was the most transcendent of them all, but maybe it was because it just like. When I heard it, it was like, oh, I don't need to do anything to understand this. This is just like sparks something in me without explanation. <laughs> I definitely like the dragon. That's that's in the top. I, I like the sirens, too. Yeah, the siren one was really good. But, you know, anyway, that's all. Great. Well, we've got a hot, fresh new Patreon episode out right now with behind-the-scenes recordings from our new Temple OS series. So go join our Patreon at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? Thank you for helping us continue to make this show. We are making something really cool behind the scenes while we bring you these mini-sodes, and I can't wait to reveal it to all of you. Each and every one of you is a shining and beautiful star. Shavuotov. Shavuotov. Shavuotov.